Hello coconuts, we are back for more in our weekly market updates. This week we're going to be talking about Marvel getting a good first day revenue with Shang-Chi, Binance halting Singapore's products after a violation, JD.com CEO has a new position within the company, and DocuSign saying they have years of high growth ahead, even after a great year. Stay tuned! TFC's weekly market update scours the net to find worthy financial news to be further discussed and expanded. It is a banter session with facts, figures, and fun to help you get caught up in the world of investing. So join in the banter live with me, Rakesh, your host, weekly Tuesdays at 8pm on our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. Hey folks, how are we? Welcome back to another TFC Weekly Market Updates. Glad to hear you all and, and join in the weekly the weekly fun, really. This week, we have uh, Chung Soon. Hey, Chung, how are you? Hello, hello. Good to be here. Good to be yeah. on the other side. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thomas can join us this week, uh, listeners. So, um, you know, CS has happily stepped in here to to fill in the, the huge gap and I'm sure he'll more than fill it. So thanks thanks so much for joining on. And of course we have Reggie. Yo, How yo are you, guys. Reggie? Oh, I we're just back. rushed back, back from the movies. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah, and we're gonna be yeah. talking a bit about we're that. We're gonna talk about we? it, yes. We're yeah. gonna be talking about it. Yes. yes. Cool stuff. Nice. nice. Um just a bit of introductory stuff, right? If you haven't you know subscribed to our newsletter, please do so. Um, don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Spotify, which have you. Really good to see that we're also 23rd on the on the uh, podcast charts in, in Spotify. And so that's that's really cool. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and hope it continues. All right. And we're not stopping till number one, by the way, just letting you know. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Nice. So for, for this week, yeah, so for this week, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, Marvel's uh, re-entry into the cinemas, if you will. Um, talk a little bit about Binance crackdown uh, into, towards crypto, uh, a little bit about China and JD.com and, and really making sense a little bit of what's happening in China right now. There's a lot of news going through. Um, but, you know, I think first things first, we'll start off with me. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about Zoom, right? So Zoom came out last week um, informing us about its you know earnings call, et cetera, et cetera. One thing led to another, even though they've passed sort of the expectations, um, the stock dropped, right? Something like 15 billion was wiped out in terms of market value after the um, after the earnings call, and it's it's a sign, I guess. Right? If you read the news, uh, so on and so forth, they mentioned that the pandemic growth is is waning. I believe the CFO actually mentioned that this could be sort of the post um, COVID era where people are sort of going out and out out and about again and, and carrying on their their usual work. Um, and we've seen we've seen that drop. Now you know again, right? If you have any comments on this sort of things, please go ahead, uh, type it into our comment section. We're more than happy to ask any questions um, and or any statements that you have. I'd love to show that to the rest of our listeners as well. Reggie, what do you, what do you think about about Zoom and and all of them? Even you know, given that they've been posting record revenues. I mean, Zoom is one of those um, pandemic babies, right? They really grew because of the pandemic and. As, as with all other tech softwares, they take time to be acquired, as in they take time to acquire customers, right? But because mm. of the whole pandemic lockdown, Zoom just had its like crazy boom. Like every quarter, I was seeing numbers just flying off the roof. I was like, what the hell? Is this, is this going to like 
keep up and is it going to keep going? And of course, you see share price kind of inflate along as as um, as with any other massive growth story. But it is not unexpected, I think, for Zoom to have a pullback also because of uh, reality setting in that, okay, maybe after pandemic, there'll be a lesser amount of people using Zoom. But as with any other tech adoption, it's a cycle, right? So it tends to kind of plateau off. There will be a retention number that, that sticks around. So there'll be some people that continue to use it. And then there'll be some people that kind of wane off from the service. So I don't think that is um, very unfounded. I don't think that it's very uh, special per se. Like it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not unexpected for Zoom to have that kind of retraction from its growth, right? But... Does that mean it's a buy? Does that mean it's a story to continue to chug along? That's a whole different story, a different uh, evaluation structure that we have to go into. Yes. Nice, nice. Thanks for that. Uh, CS, what do you think? Yeah, so I don't, I, like, I personally hate using Zoom, right? So I don't actually <laughs> know why people like it. Um, and honestly, like, you know, for those who don't know, like, I'm usually, like, for, you know, I'm one of the co-founders of the Financial Coconut here, and I spend a lot of time doing a lot of sales calls, right? And no one ever uses Zoom in, in Singapore, right? So my, I guess what I'm curious about with, with Zoom right now, and, it, and granted, like I haven't spent much time looking into this, is, is Zoom really just a, a North American thing, right? Um, when I, you know, when, and when I, when I go into conversations with a lot of these banks, insurance companies, what have you, a lot of them are using Teams, like Microsoft Teams. They already have their, like, they're already entrenched in it. They can't get out of it. Um, which, yeah, which to me, it, it makes sense, right? Like when I, when I looked at some of the Zoom stats there, they're, they, they base it off like companies that are above $100,000, um, which isn't very high if you're talking about like trying to get into like the Fortune 500 or what have you, right? So um, that said, I, yeah, I, I don't know if, if they are kind of like tapping out with, with the current market that they can kind of reach. And, you know, they essentially pulled forward a bunch of years of, um, of potential customers. And now they need to figure out like, how do we, how do, how do they actually tap into the real enterprise? Yeah, but I, right. I, think, what is, I think what is important to note that um, a lot of these big enterprises, yes, they use Microsoft, they use Teams, so they're entrenched in the Microsoft ecosystem, right? So that's the power of mm. Microsoft, right? You know, a lot of these uh, tech sales, enterprise sales people can really get the whole package, right? End-to-end -end service uh, with Microsoft and with Google when a lot of these big guys, you know, big providers, Amazon as well, right? Adobe, whatever. So a lot of big enterprise software ecosystem. Uh, Microsoft is a, definitely a leader and that's why I'm... I also hate Teams, by the way. I, the UI of Teams <laughs> is super irritating. Yes, Google Meets. I'm, I'm a Google Meet fan. Okay, so... But that's product, right? From a business standpoint, you know, it's a little bit different. People are using Teams, so that's... It is what it is. But when we're looking back at Zoom, I think... Something to note is that Zoom has opened up its developer ecosystem. So that it's a very, that's a cool part about, about Zoom, right? As with Square, as with Spotify, as with Shopify, a lot of these younger, newer companies that are trying to go for that fast growth tech play in the US, they have all, they all have some sort of in-app extra marketplace, right? So they have that marketplace for all your developers, third-party developers to come in to create additional stuff, additional skin, additional features on top of their ecosystem. And Zoom has definitely gotten a lot of new, younger developers that are building third-party additional stuff, right? Where you can create rooms, you can have splits, you can have skins, you can schedule, you know, you can connect the API to the back end of something else. You know, there are many, many things that... Zoom has um, created, right? Not just 
uh, what teams can do and not just what meets can do, which is very restrictive, right? And I think that's that's the part that uh, Zoom may have an edge, right? Just because they are developing more and faster. Got it. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point, right? They're effectively creating their own ecosystem, given the fact that Microsoft already have their own, right? And the best way to do that is you know, APIs with with other software, other third party software, as much as possible. I think you know, just some numbers for some numbers for our listeners, right? So you know, it was three forty seven uh, last week. And within a day, it dropped to 289. Um, and, and that was that was the big sell-off, I guess, if you will, right? Tumbled about 17 to 20%. And on that note, Kathy Wood, we all know the famous Kathy Wood, we talked about her last week, snapped up 200,000 shares of Zoom that day, right? So I think it's good to note, right? If uh, For those that are believing in Kathy Wood, this is what she did. Um, and... And effectively towards the ARKK and and the ARKW fund that she that she runs, um, and she believes that it's underpriced now, right? Now whether that's true or not, we that's not for us to say. That's for you guys to do your own research. But I think that's that's pretty pretty decent that she feels that it's going to to go up. Uh, what what do you guys think? I mean, it's just Kathy Wood being Kathy Wood. <laughs> <laughs> she she is the diamond hand of all these growth stocks, right? Holding on, holding the fort and buying it, you know, when whenever uh, dips are coming down. So I am actually very critical about her investment strategy because she's actually very active. She's not as passive as what she she tries to market the long term hold and all that. So she she has a lot mm-hmm. of trades. If you if you look at how she manages ARC, the in and outs of ARC, you know, a lot of liquidity uh, going in and out of the, com- uh, of the company and a lot of liquidity going in and out of the different companies that they hold, right? So I won't be surprised if this is just another short-term kind of play from them. Uh, but yeah, you, she is a contrarian, famous contrarian. <laughs> so I don't know, man. Yeah, she is what it is. Nice. All right. So let's jump on to the next bit. Uh, do you have do you have anything for us? Yeah, yeah. So um I think uh, what happened this past week was Apple also um, announcing their, what was it called, Japan Fair Trade um, like update, right? Uh, for those who aren't familiar, uh, I think I believe the rough story goes along the lines of um, Japan was actually investigating Apple for, um, for essentially being a monopoly, right, and with their app store. And, um, and the conclusion of that was that they... You know, Apple was a monopoly. Apple and and Apple was going to say in, in return, Apple was like, okay, you know what? What we're going to do is we will actually allow uh, certain types of apps to uh, to essentially bypass the whole Apple ecosystem, right? Um, and this is really important because Apple currently takes fifteen to thirty percent of revenue of any apps of revenue, right? Um, and for for companies like Netflix or Spotify, where like you know. They're really meant for it as a consumption. Like app, iPhone's really just a consumption platform. It's not like a real. It's not like a way for them to like monetize their audience or anything. Um, that was just a huge tax uh, on their, you know, on these on these platforms. And the worst part there was because Apple also is in that space, right? So Apple has Apple Music, which competes with Spotify, um, and then it becomes a hey, why why is Apple giving themselves that treatment of um, not having to pay the thirty percent, whereas with Spotify they do. Right. Um, so once that kind of um, that whole thing kind of played out in Japan, Apple decided that they were going to just roll this out um, globally. So this is not just going to be a thing, you know, specifically for Japan. Um, and yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, this is supposed to uh, roll out in 2022. Uh, so, you know, another three, four months. Um, what do you guys think about this? 
I thought I'm still in 2020. <laughs> like 2020, 2021 have been cancelled. Okay. But on on this uh on this thought about Apple opening up its walk garden. So for everyone that don't yet know Apple has a walk garden strategy and they're very proud of it. They talk about it all the time, right? They want to create that ecosystem where people cannot leave. So in the App Store, of course, I personally don't think it's anti-monopolistic, you know, uh, but I do think that it's anti-competition. So these are a little bit of nuances, right? So uh, we don't need to go deep into that part. But what is interesting is not particularly for Apple because I do believe that even with the reduction of the App Store revenue, it is a drop in the ocean, right? For, for Apple, it is not their major business. They make most of their money, I think about 60-70% of their money from one product, which are phones, Okay, iPhones account for their major revenue source and then they have all these other gadgets that they're building, right? So a lot of these apps and a lot of these ecosystem uh, is really just keeping the user within Apple, right? So a lot of apps are optimized for Apple users, the experience is optimized for Apple users, but fundamentally Apple's business is still the hardware. But the interesting part is with a lot of these mid-sized app developers, right? So whether it's Spotify, whether it's Netflix, whether it's other, you know, like Epic Games and a lot of, especially a lot of the game guys, you know, once this uh, becomes open up, because the game guys have been hitting really hard at Apple, right? Trying to attack them lawsuit after lawsuit to allow to get them to open up, right? So once it's open up, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a big bum for all their revenue. Right, because if you think about it, 15 to 30% is quite serious in a lot of their revenue structure. Right? Of course, uh, with in-app purchases and with uh, subscription and all that stuff, uh, it, it's definitely not, it's, a, it's definitely a little bit more complicated. It's, it will not be like 30%, 15% up revenue, you know, but uh, it's, it's, it provides a platform for them to really increase their margins. Right? So I do think that there's a lot of good stuff coming for a lot of these smaller app developers, not so much about Apple. Yeah, um, just just to just in case you're not aware, uh, games is not considered part of this um, this uh, group. So it's only oh, it's, it's it's only reader apps, right? So things that you go in to just consume something, but you're not, but yeah, but you're not able to like you know you're not really buying anything in general, right? Uh, so yeah, games is not considered. It's not part of it. Um, another way I kind of read this is you know, like like what you were saying, Reggie. Like Epic Games has been really trying to fight for this. They were trying to bring on all these other bigger brand names to join them on this cause. So in a sense, I feel like if, if these brand names decide to um, take the, uh, Apple's offer right now, the as is, um, then that Epic Games are, or game developers are kind of left alone again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which, which does make it a very interesting um, dynamic or, and, you know, to be determined, really. Oh, interesting. Okay, so it's only for reading. So it allows to go outside of the environment. I think... Okay, so then it's not really a drop in the bucket, right? What will they actually lose, right? Because technically, if, if their revenue is in, is in hardware, they're still going to buy the hardware. I think what might happen here is that if they're doing this Fair Trade Commission, they're calling it the JFTC, I believe, right? Um, and they're going to implement it throughout, throughout the world. What this might do is get more, app, more readers, more, more app developers to send and, and create more reading content or reading apps in, in the App Store. And what this will do is effectively increase the usage of the phone, right? So I think that's, that's maybe their play, right? I, I think it's, it's honestly for them a small thing. Um, for, of course, for, for Japan, and if you talk about Epic Games, you talk about all the other stuff that's going on, even in terms of Rev, um, it's quite big, but I think that's a, that's a separate matter. 
Uh, but in yeah. terms of this, um, I don't think they're baiting an eyelid, to be honest. I think they're no, just going, I, yeah, I, okay, you want it, we do it. No, I, I think I think um, what is interesting is that if you're going to reduce these kind of margins, it's going to increase it for third-party developers, smaller developers that are really making money off the month-to-month subscription, making money off the one-time download and all that, right? So it's it's going to open up that whole ecosystem for them. So I definitely agree with the increase in vibrancy. And Apple is not unique in this game. Shopify has also come out to reduce their cost, right? Reduce their overall percentage that they charge third-party developers to encourage them to develop Right, so it is a uh, broad, right? yeah, more. So it's a broad movement for a lot of these big platform plays. And yeah, Shopify is a platform. Square is a platform. Zoom is a platform. A lot of these guys are building platforms at this point in time. They all have third-party app developers or third-party content creators. So with the reduction in these kind of fees that's being charged on third-party developer, hey, it's good for all of you smaller people trying to do something and also increase the vibrancy for uh, a lot of these big platforms, which will further increase their stickiness. So yeah, uh, as they say, the next Amazon is Amazon, right? So the next Apple will be Apple, right? <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Awesome. Thanks Thanks so much, Adesha. I think that was a good news. Reggie, you're up. Is it uh, Marvel time? Yeah, guys, you know, I was at the <laughs> cinema 30 minutes ago, right? I just rushed back for this live, okay? So Marvel's Shang-Chi is set to ring up Labor Day record at theaters, right? So the cinema box office is once again open and in a huge upswing, this is the latest entry with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And personally, while I was watching it, I found it a little bit cheesy because it's like Marvel has a system already. That kind of humor... That kind of plot, that kind of enemy, that kind of building, right? So it's a little bit cheesy, but I can tell why some of my friends, some of my Asian friends or Chinese friends specifically are raving over it. And they, it may be a little bit of, uh, they want to kind of express themselves. It may, a little bit, it may be a little bit of this whole idea that, oh, it's been a long time since we've gone to the cinema. So with all that adding up, wow, Marvel Shang-Chi just drew in 8.8 million in Thursday's night previews, right? So even before the main releases, they are already getting very, very big numbers coming. And let's not forget that Marvel is one of one of, uh, one of Disney's biggest business at this point in time and its studios has been hit for a very, very long time. In fact, uh, two years of cancellation, right? So this wow. may be an upswing, this may be a revenge spending within the cinemas. Uh, what do you guys think? Curious. Um, Pre-COVID, like I don't follow the cinema as, as uh, closely, but do you know like if, when it was, if it was pre-COVID, um, what numbers would have looked like by now? Like what is eight is eight million or ten million considered like really good for a first day or like a pre-opening uh, type of play, right? So yeah. I mean that's that's really I guess my my main thought there is like okay, uh, you know, relative to COVID like COVID life, um, it's a great it's it's a huge success, right? But I'm just curious like relative to pre-COVID, like what how much how much is like Disney like not really able to capture anymore uh, due to people not being afraid of going into cinemas. Okay, so Disney's, uh, Disney banked in about $13 billion in worldwide box office in 2019. Okay, so I'm assuming 2019 is pre-COVID, although it came in at the tail end of 2019. But yes, Disney banked in $13 billion and well, record holding is like Star Wars, 700 over a million. Um, and if you think about it, usually in, in the US, the box office accounts for somewhere around... 
50% of the overall business. And once it leaves the US, then uh, the, the distribution is a little bit different between different, different countries, right? So it's, uh, I would say within the first week average, the last I recall, I don't have numbers at the top of my head, the last I recall, about 100 million, 80 million is a great first week, right? Or the first weekend, because most of the people are consuming a weekend, right? So I think yeah. they are off to a good start because if you, when I was in the movie theaters, half the theater wasn't available. Like, like I was being segregated by, by the other guys. So I'm not sure if that's the policy in other parts of the world, but overall, I think it's a great testament to the stickiness of Marvel's universe and the kind of uh, desire for people to go out and spend and revenge spend. So all the whole revenge uh, spending, revenge consumption uh, may have some basis to it, right? Yeah, so just looking at some numbers as well. So Iron Man, if we just take the first Iron Man, I think it was 3.5 million for the opening day, which was a Thursday, right? And again, this is very, very early on, right? When Marvel was just getting started. Now, if you want to look at the, the bigger guys, your, your Infinity War, for example, that was at 258 million for that weekend, the first opening weekend, right? We so, wait, <laughs> holy. In one weekend, yeah. 258 million? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that was Infinity War, which was also eclipsed by Endgame, right? So I don't actually have Avengers Endgame, which obviously contributed to the 13 billion that <laughs> Reggie just talked about. So um, Shang-Chi was obviously not going to get that following that as much as Infinity War because it eclipsed Captain America, all the other superheroes, right? But given it's something you just want to compare it to Iron Man, something new. 3.5 million, and that don't forget that was pre-COVID, right? Of course, 2000, early 2000s. And this is 8 million with the restrictions around the world, together with the fact that I'm not sure about Europe or the US, whether they're restricting cinemas, but I think 8 million is pretty decent if, if I extrapolate from, from just Asia standards. So I think that's a really good thing. Um, in all fairness, I've been wanting to go to the cinema for the longest time. And I think I, I, I really, you know, relate to what Reggie is saying, right? <laughs> like, it's it that revenge. It felt so weird. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it felt, honestly, it felt so weird going back into the cinemas. So that's, uh, you yeah. know, it's, it's quite an experience. By the way, I want to add that Black Widow, right? Black Widow also released it, itself this, this, uh, this year, right? So Black Widow grossed yes. 13.2 million on the first day of preview, right? So Black Widow definitely is a much more high-profile yes. um, character in the Marvel Universe. And yeah, you are seeing Disney continue to hit hard home with Marvel's franchise really bringing in a lot of cash. And let's not forget that now they have Disney+. Plus. So after 45 days, after 60 days, depending on the different contracts, it will then all go on to Disney+, Plus, right? So once it goes on Disney+, Plus, then it's a whole different churn. Uh, of course, Scarlett Johansson mm -hmm. is very unhappy that it went on Disney Plus immediately. But okay, that's a, a sidetrack and different story. Altogether, Disney has <laughs> built an like, entertainment consumption ecosystem with TV, with theme parks, with movies, and with streaming, merchandise, licensing. I think it's a company that it's uh, definitely worth for everybody to go and learn about and study about. Right? Whether or not it fits your palette, that's up to you. Okay, cool stuff. Awesome, guys. I think that's good. You know, for listeners, you're really thinking about investing in Disney. This is probably something you want to look at as well. Um, all right. So let's move on to the next bit. Um, so a little bit on Binance, actually, right? So we talked a little bit about a crypto sell-off uh, a couple of weeks ago with, with Bitcoin dropping, I think, to below 50K. Um, and, and now it's, it's back up to 51. But some news that I got uh, today... Uh, and especially for our Singapore viewers, so thanks so much, is the fact that Binance is halting Singapore products after the Singapore Central Bank gave a warning. Apparently, they have breached 
uh, and violated Singapore's Payment Services Act and has to stop all trading volumes in Singapore. This will be in effect on September 10th, which is ooh, Friday. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, that's really quick, actually. So I'm just, just reading this news. Um, of course, we talked about the you know, cryptocurrency being, being waning off in general with China cracking down in terms of mining, which we've seen over the past few months. China also saying there's not illegal trade activity and, and, and they want to move all them out. Um, and probably maybe run their own, but you know that's not for me to say. Uh, what do you guys think about Binance, right? Um, with regards to with regards to this news, do you think other central banks are going to do the same? So Singapore Central Bank is one of the laxest in the crypto space, right? So the most relaxed, least legislative, least legislations being enacted in the crypto space at this moment in time. So a lot of uh, big development. Um, are here, right, in Singapore to use this as a base to potentially grow their own ecosystem with uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain and all that jazz, right? So, so that's that part. Um, and for the Singapore government to kind of attack Binance, I think, in such a high-profile situation, um, mm. it's definitely something going on there. And uh, you can also say that, you know, the whole cryptocurrency space is going through a, a whole process of being legislated and being, you know, Controlled and being regulated, you know, with uh, with Tether, with Binance, and all these other central banks coming up to say that okay, you, unanimously we must tax this thing, and uh, China pushing it out, you know, to say that okay, we shouldn't be putting our resources uh, mining cryptocurrencies, we should put our resources in manufacturing real stuff and all that jazz. Right? So China is also hitting hard. So it's not a one-off thing at this point in time. It looks like it's a whole suite of legislation coming for the cryptocurrency space, right? But the interesting part is a lot of these central banks all have pretty good things to say about Coinbase, right? So um, I don't know why. I don't know why, but they all have some pretty good things to say about Coinbase, saying that Coinbase has a very good legislation, internal regulation, internal legislation, internal KYC, know your customers and all those kind of stuff, right? So... I don't know. Maybe it's the thing. But yeah, not a big fan of the cryptocurrency space yet. I am changing my positions. I can slowly feel myself inching closer to a whole new world, you know, but yeah, not, not there yet. So <laughs> <laughs> just as of now, yeah, this is, this is my take that uh, Binance, this issue with Binance is not unique and it will affect, uh, it will, cryptocurrency probably go through a whole series of changes um, in the next few years. Yeah. I guess going back off what Reggie was saying of, you know, the KYC site. Um, so, I mean, I op I've opened up a few different um, accounts with a lot of these uh, people a few years ago, right? And Coinbase has been, only been, has been the only one that's actually asked me to, like, update my, um, my documents, uh, which I think does speak towards, like, you know, they, they have a much better internal protocol uh, to kind of figure out what's, you know, what's happening, what's not. Um, I think I'll, like... I do think um, ultimately, like, yeah, there's definitely going to be a lot more legislation. Uh, right now, I, I think there's just too many gray areas uh, for a lot of these, you know, for a lot of these people, like businesses or investors or um, re like or just like retail people, um, like they're not really sure what what is or is not okay, right? Um, I I guess the way I look at this is like there's so many there's so many like um, custodians out there right now that. Yes, I mean, Binance is big, but Binance isn't the only one in Singapore, right? I think Gemini is probably the biggest one there. And, and it doesn't seem like Gemini is being impacted at all uh, with what's happening with Binance, right? So I don't, 
I don't see this as a negative per se for crypto. I think um, overall, like, and you know, going back to like the typical crypto um, bull case is you need more regulation before you can have institutional investors come in, right? Um, and before they're able to actually start like really, you know, bidding up some of these um, um, projects or what have you. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not too worried. I mean, I don't, I, you know, disclose, disclosure, I do own um, a bit of stuff uh, a few years now. Stuff. Stuff. I don't, stuff. I don't even know what he's I not, own. He's not time. saying, oh, wow, yeah. he doesn't even know what he owns. Nice. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just been so many years just like leaving it there, right? Um, and I don't are check like, yes. Are we, yeah, are we like, are we like FUD? Are we like FUD? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so um, I, I'm not too worried about this. I think it's, I think there'll be more and more of these uh, things happening. Um, and I, I, I personally like look forward to it to, to actually be able to figure out like, okay, you know, can I actually take, can I actually start transacting in this? How do I, and not having to worry about like reporting or being, or, or being uh, caught in the future, not reporting or what have you. Right. It's just, it's just so complicated. And that's why I haven't touched, like, I haven't really done anything. I just like, I buy some, and I just leave it there. Got it. Nice. The long-term game. Nice. But I think, you know, as to, as to, to sum up to this, right, I guess we're going to see a bit more legislation. We're going to see a bit more structure, scaffolding built around the, the Wild West that we used to call the cryptocurrency. Um, so I think it's, it's interesting to see where, where we're going to go in the next year or two and even see what the central banks are going to do, right? Um, I think it's a really interesting space. I myself have been doing a bit more research this week, um, looking to maybe start off an NFT, but let's see. Um, let's see how, how we do that. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Um, all right, we'll jump on to the next one. Uh, Shung Sun, what else do you have for us? Are we moving into China now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, every every week I always seem to find some interesting thing about China. And most of the time it's like, oh, this is interesting. I what have you, right? So I know we talked, I, I know there's been a lot, a lot of conversation about like, I guess, sorry, sorry, let me preface this. I have three things. We can decide which ones we want to go into. Uh, so number one, um, China like really clamping down video games. I think it's like the limit is like two to three hours a week, only on weekends. Um, what does that mean for, you know, the gaming industry or you know the way people might interact with each other in the future? Um, that's number one. Number two, uh, the CEO of JD.com is stepping down to do some um, weird role within JD. <laughs> uh, so we can talk about that. And... <laughs> Yeah, and then number three, um, it seems like China's also starting to clamp down on uh, what, or the, the entertainment industry overall, right? And what they can or cannot do um, in the entertainment industry to to encourage consumption. So which one do you guys want to dig into first or what have you? I think I'll, I'll pick JD's weird role. Let's, let's, because we've talked a little bit about the gaming industry in a couple of weeks, right? For those listening in, if you want to listen in, uh, definitely go, I think it was two weeks ago, we talked a bit about that. Um, we did talk about very briefly on, on the three hours a week, um, what that might do. But I think JD for our listeners could be, could be interesting because we just talked about it two weeks ago about Kathy with taking a position in JD. Um, oh, actually maybe that was last week. Last <laughs> week yes. well, it was last week. So let's say, yeah, tell us a bit more about the CEO and this weird, um, weird role. What is he? Chief Lego builder? What is it? What's the position? <laughs> I, okay. So I'm not, I'm not fully aware but it sounds like his new role has to do with just like helping improve society. And it, he, it is under, you know, and yeah, essentially JD's paying him to do this, right? So essentially he's stepping down as the CEO 
and now he's like more focused on um, improving society, and I, I believe it's like um, some infrastructure-related things. Yeah. Anyone else have any additional information about that? In in other words, it is the Chinese government telling JD that hey, you know, if you want to keep operating in this space, you got to work with us. And one of the big caveats of you working with us is that your founder have to step down. It's the same with Alibaba. You know, same with uh, some of the big developers of the past. You know, property developers. So it's not unique to uh, the corporate situation in China. Right, so this is definitely a corporate risk that I think a lot of people, when you're exploring investing in China, you have to look at this, right? And um, like it or not, the Chinese the central government have a lot of control in China, and uh, they have legitimacy. They have popular con they have popular consensus. So with that, they can execute a lot of these things. And one of the biggest problem with uh, they call it the BAT, right? ByteDance, Alibaba, Tencent, um, including JD as a site. They are all driving a lot of content uh, that is trying to get people to consume more or buy more, and and you know generally not that um, by by government standard not healthy, right? So it's not it's not surprising that they are, that the central government has decided to take a high hand and come in and really kind of crack down on some of these businesses, right? But the reality is they don't want the business to die. That is, that is uh, something that I still stand strong on. They don't want the businesses to die, but they want to reduce monopolistic uh, situations. They want to reduce the kind of over-capitalistic ideas of some of these uh, founders and what have you, right? It's, it's not a moral discussion here. We're not saying whether capitalism or socialism is better. Anyway, it's extremely cloudy in, in the discussion out there. But the Chinese government is not shy to do it. And that is the reality that we have to observe, right? So for all of you exploring to invest in China, I think even Cathy Wood would be pretty shocked. Like, huh? I thought I just invested last week. And then now <laughs> the CEO stepping down, right? Doing some community service role, huh? right? So I, I think that's the, that's the part that... There is a reason why a lot of uh, businesses, a lot of investors are still uncomfortable with China. And I don't think it's unfounded. There is some basis to it. Uh, so it's up to you to decide if this is okay for you. For me, I am generally fine. Generally. <laughs> Until I see big changes in the businesses. Right? So because a lot of these bigger companies, they do not just change the they don't they don't change the tides overnight, right? They don't shift very, they don't pivot very big, they're very, very quickly. Right, so as long as they continue to chug along in the business that they were planned to do and their execution continue to be good, I don't mind you know, hanging around for a little longer and kind of see how this plays out. Right, but it, but it, also, it does not mean that I'm going to be opening a lot of big positions in Chinese companies. Right? It, even I am getting a little afraid of like, what the hell is going to happen next? Yeah. Yeah. No, fair enough. I um, mean, I think just, just for our listeners as well, I'm just reading here that CEO is stepping down and he'll be spending more time on long-term strategy, <laughs> creating the role of new role of president to run day-to-day -day operations. What this really means is that he will spend more time mentoring younger management and contributing to the revitalization of rural areas in China. Right. So I guess that's what you're you're meaning, Jungsun, right? Uh, on the on the a bit more public awareness sort of building up building up China as well. And um, and to, you know, complement what Reggie just said, it turns out that in 2020's, JD's 2020 annual report, Liu owns nearly 80% of the voting power of JD. He could effectively <laughs> just do whatever he wanted to do. And for someone, and we've seen this in China with the influences that happened over the last week, right? 
someone that has such a big like power, effective influence over a big e-commerce site is not is against <laughs> right uh, sort of what's going on in China, what they're trying to do over the last few weeks. So I can and now I understand a little bit more. Right, he was probably told to to. Say, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but he wants to focus a bit more, I guess, on on revitalizing the rural areas. In which case, there's a lot of work to be done there in terms of China. I'm, I'm gonna make a bold claim that he was cornered to step down, right? Right. <laughs> based on my based on my understanding of how Chinese politics work and the kind of ecosystem there, um, I really think he was cornered to step down. And let's not forget that because China is cracking down a lot of entertainment. Actually, JD is one of the biggest funders of uh, digital entertainment in China. Right, so together with Alibaba and together with uh, Meituan, they all spend a lot of money supporting online content. They put their brands all over, and a lot of these online content creators or a lot of these celebrities, they do promote JD. They do promote Alibaba, like Pilipili, Elema, you know, Meituan. So all those, um, they are the internet giants. Essentially, are funding entertainment in China. So I won't be surprised that as China is trying to reckon the entertainment sector, they will also end up hurting some of these uh, big tech companies, right? So, you know, like, like that, right? So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see yeah. how that goes. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for that, Jung-Soo. I think that was a good one. Uh, Reggie, why don't we end off with you? Okay, so following the whole discussion with Zoom, DocuSign is another big company that did extremely well during pandemic, right? So, personally, I've used DocuSign, HelloSign, PDF scan, PDF sign, what have you, right? So all the e-signatory companies, I think they're doing a great job and great blessing to all of us, you know, younger entrepreneurs trying to create something and refuse to sign papers and uh, send notary. Uh, by the way, it's very, very expensive <laughs> and very, very big hassle, right? So DocuSign is one of these uh, successful companies that has rose out of the pandemic and it's definitely providing a service for a lot of people that uh, sees the whole like paper problem as an issue, right? So what DocuSign CEO came out to say that they have many, many years of growth ahead of them. And this follows the company's approximately $2 billion in annual revenue at this moment in time. And they believe that they only represent about 5% of penetration in the overall market. Like I said, they have competitor like HelloSign, which is under Dropbox, and they have PDF, which is also growing. It's a very big ecosystem following its PDF you know, uh, file structure, right? PDF, everybody use PDF, right? So that's pretty amazing. All right, but uh, they are not alone. So a lot of other big enterprise softwares, they are also uh, trying to do e-signatory and do all that jazz, right? But DocuSign report quarterly profit, the top expectation. Revenue jumped 50% from last year to reach wow. 500 million, beating analyst consensus, which is why they predict that 2 billion revenue will be what it is for this year. So a lot, a lot of interesting stuff. And CEO said, we got a lot more room to grow. But they didn't specifically say where they're going to grow towards. But uh, notary is something that they have been talking about. Notary essentially is a legal service uh, based on signatory, right? So I think that is a natural extension of what they are trying to do. And we'll see whether they can continue to beef up to the next level of business. Because as with any other software companies, at some point in time, high growth will plateau. All right, so as high growth plateau, 50% is already considered quite a low growth rate for DocuSign, right? So as high growth plateau, they have to find the next big thing to grow into. If not, valuations will get hit very hard. Share prices do come down. If any signs of slower growth. So DocuSign is going into notary, but um, there are no new strategic ideas that's coming out of the DocuSign CEO at this moment in time. Any thoughts on DocuSign and e-signatory, guys? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... it's um... 
firstly, it's expected, right? Um, for for these sort of e-signature companies to to really grow. Um, and I, you know, DocuSign is used by by the big corporates mainly because of its uh, timestamp, I believe, and its sort of back end. Uh, I don't know whether it's patented or not, but it's back end. Um, effectively software to say, yes, this person actually signed it on this date, so on and so forth, right? Whereas opposed to other sort of free signatory documents. So for example, when I sign my documents, I use um, Apple, right? So Apple has the preview, uh, the the software preview, and you just go on it and you literally just sign um, using a mouse pad or, or on your iPhone. Um, and for me, that does the same thing. But obviously for corporates, you need that one extra layer. The one actually of saying, yes, this person actually signed it, so on and so forth. So moving towards notary or notarizing a document is a big step that's moving towards a space in which is very, very enclosed, right? The lawyer space, the not in fact, the notary public space. So I don't know whether they'll be able to crack that because it's very tightly knit. But if they are, I think that's a great, great next step. I think they would, honestly. You yeah. know, notary is such a hassle, so difficult, so complicated. Um, okay, not, not as complicated. Yes, it's unnecessarily complicated and unnecessarily yes. expensive, right? Yes. Why do I need a lawyer to do that, right? So if I know. Uh, <laughs> you don't trust yeah, me, is it? <laughs> I'm like, why do I, like, yeah, like, why do I need a lawyer, right? Like, why do I need a lawyer to sign property contracts? Also, very stupid. I pay 5000 to sign a, the options contract for to purchase a property, right? And, and all that kind of jazz, right? So I think uh, you can potentially see DocuSign going into some of these spaces, right? Which is which is very high margins, especially when they are fully tech, right? And if they can create a system that it's uh, reliable or certified reliable and be comfortably adopted by some of the legal and legal bodies out there, then hey, this is a whole new business uh, field that DocuSign is going into. So yeah, shout out to DocuSign for notary. I feel like, and just going back to our one of our conversations earlier, like. Like this is one of those challenges that blockchain can really just fix, right? Like you don't need, like when, like we we're all talking about, like you don't need a lawyer, you don't need to pay a lawyer $5,000 to like, to give their stamp of approval, right? Um, you can, this is something that can be very easily like verifiable uh, across some sort of blockchain system, right? And that to me is like, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's to me is like the biggest, the biggest, um, challenge that these guys will like everyone in this space will eventually face is like how are you going to how are you going to play against or deal when it comes to like when like um blockchain technology really takes over the space fully agree yeah so it's not about cryptocurrency it's just about blockchain so there's a, a world of difference here but yeah I, I i i never thought of it that way but yeah good point right eventually blockchain may even render DocuSign useless, right? Or, or DocuSign Absolutely. will just be the UI in front and they will have to use a blockchain technology at the back to even further streamline themselves, right? So that is a totally possible, interesting uh, viewpoint. Cool. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I think the other point that we need to do bring up is when this will effectively occur, right? So a notary public, for example, being, being able to notarize a document could be in a year or two if they're able to crack into that environment and, and all of that. I don't see it, again, sort of blockchain happening for the mainstream, which is where DocuSign wants to operate in, in two years. Maybe five, maybe three, if you're very lucky, three. But I don't. I see it a lot longer than that in order for it to become mainstream. So transitional, this or that. If you're investing in the next, you know, six years, uh, six months, sorry, six months to the next two to three years, this is, could be something that you want to take into account. But I think it's a very yeah. good point that the long-term strategy um, in terms of everything, could very well be this this blockchain technology. 
Yeah, so shout out to Dan, Dan Springer, the CEO. Maybe you should just announce that, oh, we're going to blockchain and then, you know, Maybe share prices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Then share prices will fly another 20%, right? Just on the basic announcement, oh, we're doing blockchain, right? So in the future, we're going to be more optimized than everyone else, right? So shout out to you yes. and let's see if that happens, okay? So if any one of you have any questions uh, regarding any of the topics that we discussed, please drop in the comment section. Awesome, folks. I think we've, we've come to the end um, of our TFC weekly market update. We try, uh, we're trying a little shorter one this time, you know, we're roughly about 45 minutes. Again, let us know how you feel about this. Leave it in the comment section. Um, tell us on Telegram group whether you like it, whether you like it shorter, whether you want it longer. Um, and if you're not already, please go in, subscribe to our Telegram group, newsletters, Twitch, YouTube, Spotify. Make us number one. Thank you again so much, guys. Uh, thanks for listening in, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Charles. Yes. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we'll see you. Uh, we'll probably see you for a few more weeks. So, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking uh, forward to next week as well. <laughs> thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with me, Rakesh, and trust that you learned something today. If you enjoyed the session and want to be part of the banter, join our community Telegram group or follow us on social media. We also have a weekly newsletter to get a digest of the news we covered. To sign up, please click the description below. As always, we love your feedback. So share that with us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. Thanks and stay safe.